So when we were planning for Empower this year, um, the lady said, you know what would be really awesome is to have a health night as our first welcome back. Now, you guys might not know this about me, but I actually, I have an undergraduate degree in exercise physiology. I have a master's degree in spirituality, culture, and health. And you're going to give me the microphone and say health is the topic. You know, I've got a lot to say. So what we're trying tonight is we're actually, instead of having translation up here on the stage, we're doing simultaneous translation. So if you are on our English page and you're hoping for Spanish, please flip over to the Iglesia Vida Facebook page and you'll get that um, simulcast in Spanish. And if you're here tonight and you need a headphone, um, we can get that arranged too. So when the topic of health comes up, what do you think of? Anybody? Exercise? Good food? Yeah. Is there anybody here who's like, I really don't know how to be healthy? Oh, we get one hand, one hand. For the most part, we know what to do, right? Health isn't a, a huge mystery. Um, when we're talking about being healthy, we all know diet, we know exercise. Those are the main answers. But tonight, what I really want to do is come at this from a different perspective so that maybe we can think about health in a little bit different way and learn something new. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that God does not give you illness. Let's look at John 10.10. It says, it is the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I, that's Jesus, has come that you may have life and have it to the fullest or have it more abundantly. Some translations say abundantly, that's plentiful, that's copious, it's ample, it's awesome, right? God is not giving us sickness and disease. Just yesterday, I was in a meeting, and I heard someone tell a little bit of their testimony. And they were saying that, you know, they had their life planned out. And they were chugging down this path, and all of a sudden, God threw this disability at them. And to me, I was like, oh, like I feel like a little punch in my stomach, right? Because I'm like, no, that's not my God. Stop, stop saying that's my God. He didn't, he didn't give you that disability. When we look at Matthew 12, there's a, there's a good story. And it talks about a demon-possessed person is brought before Jesus, and Jesus heals them. But off on the side, you know, in the peanut gallery, we have the Pharisees. And they are starting in their minds to accuse Jesus of casting out the demon by the power of a demon, Beelzebub. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, because he's that awesome, says to them in Matthew 12, 25, he supernaturally perceived their thoughts and their motives, and he told them this parable. He said, any kingdom that fights against itself is reduced to ruins, and any family or community splintered by strife will fall apart. Now, what does he mean? He cannot be the illness and the cure. He's only the cure. He does not cause illness. He can use it for our good, Romans 8, 28. God can work all things for our good. But he didn't cause that problem to occur. The Bible tells us that by his stripes, we were healed. And he cannot be both the cause of the illness and the cure of the illness. It doesn't work that way. 
Let's look at John 3, 16 to 17. We know, we know this verse pretty well. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Now, how many of you are familiar with the word sozo? couple. So the word saved here, when we look at the Greek, is the word sozo. Now to us, saved means one thing, but that word actually has a lot more depth, a lot richer meaning than what we give it credit for. So when we look at what sozo actually means in the Greek, it means saved, healed, delivered, restored, rescued. So this word is used over a hundred times in the, in the New Testament. And most of the time, it is just translated saved. But when we read that word, we should be inserting saved, healed, delivered, restored, and rescued. So when someone is sozo healed, it's not just their soul. It's their body. God is rescuing them, healing them, saving them, restoring them. So I can tell you definitively that sickness is not God's will for our lives. It's not, he doesn't want us to be completely bedridden and damaged by illness. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, in fact, if you go onto my social media page, this is the verse that I have uh, broadcasted there. It is 3 John 1, 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. So even John, when he's writing to other church leaders, he's caring about their health. He says, hey man, I hope you are as healthy in your body as you are in your soul. I think it's pretty clear in the Bible that there are lots of causes of sickness. You know, we've talked before about spiritual warfare, supernatural healing, but there are other causes of sickness, such as, you know, there's natural causes. There are just plain germs. We live in a fallen world, right? Or there's even sickness caused by our own negligence, our own misbehavior. Um, I'm thinking, you know, cigarettes and lung cancer. Right? Like we do dumb stuff sometimes and we can cause our own illnesses. But one thing I know for sure is it's really, really hard to fulfill your mission when you're not feeling good. I don't know if you've ever had a kind of chronic condition, but it's, it's debilitating. You know, I've had periods of my life where it was hard to get out of bed, where my body was weak. And I just think, who would want that, right? The God? God or the devil? The devil. He doesn't want us to be able to fulfill our mission. And keeping us sick or depressed is a really easy way to take us out of the game. So what I want to talk about um, goes well beyond just how do we eat healthy? How do we exercise? Now, I could sit here and I can give you those recommendations. I can give you an exercise prescription if you want it. But our health is a much broader topic than just those things. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked 
run away when no one pursues them. So we're not running. I'm just kidding. Uh -huh. On the contrary, when we look at 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27, it says a true athlete will be disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers. But we run our race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. For that reason, I don't run just for exercise or box like one throwing aimless punches. But I train like a champion athlete. I subdue my body and get it under my control so that after preaching the good news to others, I myself won't be disqualified. Romans 8.6 also tells us that the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind led by the spirit is life and peace. So I think the first reason we need to care about our health, the reason we need to eat healthy, we need to exercise, is because I don't want my body governed by my flesh. I want to be in control of that. I want to be led by the Spirit, not led by every, you know, little desire or inkling that my flesh might have. That leads to death. So we need to be able to control our bodies and take control of them. The second reason, I want you to just take a moment and just do a body scan. Have you, have you ever heard of this where you just kind of sit for a moment, you kind of scan your body from your head down to your neck, your shoulders, your stomach. How do you feel? And I want you to think for a moment and consider this. You are not your body. You are not your body. You are a soul. You have a body. You need your body. Your body's important. But you are not your body. This was never more obvious to me than when I was watching one of my very best friends die of ALS and watched her body mummify her but she was still there. Her brain was fine. I think that's important to realize that we, we are not our body. I know a lot of times we identify with things around our body, like, oh, we hate this about our body. I'm a redhead, I'm a blonde, I'm a... But really, that's not us. Who we are is our soul. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 says, you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you? Whom you have received from God, don't you? You do not belong to yourselves because you were bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. Our body isn't even ours. Isn't that crazy to think about? God purchased us with a price, a very heavy price, that precious, precious blood of Jesus. And our body isn't ours. We live in it. We reside in it. But actually, it's also the home of the Holy Spirit. Our body is like, it's kind of like a loner car with a lifelong lease. That 
In a lot of cases, we have a lot of say over how long that lease is by our choices. And eventually we'll get a brand new model, right? We'll get to trade it in. But I think it's important that we are a good steward of this body that we've been given because it's the only one we get here on earth to accomplish the tasks that God has for us. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Beloved ones, with promises like these, and because of our deepest respect and worship of God, we must remove everything from our lives that contaminates the body and spirit and continue to complete the development of holiness within us. Now, what promises is Paul talking about? So remember, in the Bible, when you come to the end of a chapter, there was no chapter break in his letter. So we're just going to go back a couple verses to 2 Corinthians 6, 16 to 18, that says, What friendship does God's temple have with demons? For indeed, we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will make my home in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. For this reason, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, touching nothing that is unclean, and I will embrace you. I will be a true father to you, and you will be my beloved sons and daughters, says the Lord. So with promises like these, let us do everything not to contaminate our body and our spirit. Consider that you are the temple of the living God. We've talked before about what it means to have the Holy Spirit in you and on you. But when you think about your body, like, we, there are certain behaviors we don't do in the church, right? This is a holy place. But your body is a holy place, too. It is the temple of God's Holy Spirit living in you. Anyone hungry for Taco Bell? Just kidding. Kidding. Now, I'm not saying that you never indulge. I'm not saying that, you know, you have to be, like, completely strict with everything. But I am saying that our habits really do form us. And watching out for those habits that we do on a regular basis, those things that are really unhealthy, that can really change the trajectory of your life. You know, the Bible does also tell us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Like, he wants us to enjoy food, right? But we do need to be careful about our habits. Romans 12.1 says, I therefore urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. For this is the reasonable way for you to worship. Have you ever thought of that? That taking care of your body, your health, feeding it well, exercising, this is worship to God. We're giving glory back to him. He gave us this gift. It's our job to be good stewards of it. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Galatians 6.7-9 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. 
Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. At the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I want to sow to my spirit, not my body. What does sowing to the flesh look like? To me, that sounds like overindulgence, like eating whatever I want, doing whatever I want. If I'm having a lazy day and I just forgetting my obligations and staying in bed. It might look like, um, you know, sexual immorality, impurity. But just consider, God will not be mocked. What a person reaps, that's what they sow. If we sow junk food and we're surprised when we get diabetes, I mean, it's a, it's a biblical principle. If we're smoking 10 packs and we're surprised we get lung cancer, I mean, it's a biblical principle. Can God still heal us from our own silliness? Yeah, he can. Does he? Yeah, he sure does. And that's awesome. But as good stewards of the gift God's given us, we need to be careful that we live our lives in a way that's pleasing to him and honoring of him and honoring of our bodies in this temple of the Holy Spirit. Romans 6 um, tells us, you know, what should we say then? If God has so much grace, what do we do? We just go on sinning? He says, no, of course not. Once you have any measure of comprehension of the grace that God has, you don't want to. And I think it applies here too, right? Like, what, if God can just heal anything, will I just go do whatever I want with my body and hope he heals me? No, of course not. Once you realize the love of the Father, you don't want to. You want to honor him. Honor him with your body. Did I make that point thoroughly enough? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is that your health is not just about what you eat and how much you move. Oftentimes we limit it to that, but it really shouldn't be limited to that. Did you know your spirituality influences your health? I have a whole degree in that. <laughs> so your spiritual life directly influences your health. There's a tremendous amount of research that backs that up. For example, research from the Mayo Clinic concluded most studies have shown that religious involvement and spirituality are associated with better health outcomes, greater longevity, longer lives, better coping skills, better health-related quality of life, even during terminal illness, less anxiety, depression, less suicide. The Pew Research Center concluded that religious people are happier people, and actually that Protestants are some of the happiest in the world. Harvard showed that Christians have less depression, greater longevity, greater health in general. And one of my favorite researchers, his name's Dr. Koenig, he works uh, out of Duke. And he has a whole host of research. But a few of them are um, prayer and, and attending church reduces blood pressure. He found that religious coping during illness um, really gives us faster recovery. You get over your illnesses faster, get over surgery faster, and longer lives. Two of the main indicators he has found over decades of research are that predict your health outcomes. One is frequency of religious attendance. Frequency, <laughs> frequency of religious attendance. Now, it sounds a lot to me like Hebrews 10, 25, do not neglect meeting together. God gave us that principle, didn't he? 
The Bible's full of principles that tell us how to live our lives in a healthy way. We just need to apply them. The second major indicator is intrinsic religiosity. And that's basically the extent to which you put God first in your life. Aren't we told to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to us? And ultimately, one of the things that stands out in the research is that Christian people just plain have more hope. And that hope is a really critical factor in our ability to heal and have healthy lives. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you to explain the hope you have. We have hope. Jesus is coming. He's conquered evil. Christians are hopeful people. We know we have a loving God. We know he works all things together for our good. We have a lot of reason to be joyful, even when we're experiencing adversity. So what other reasons? Why else would Christians live longer? Yes, supernatural healing. We talk about that. Yes, a lot of research points to social support. So we have a natural community here. We love on each other. We support them when they're down. That social support can play a large role. Yes, Christians also tend to engage in fewer risk behaviors, fewer drugs, alcohol, fewer um, promiscuity, less binge drinking, all of that kind of stuff. Christians actually are more likely to wear a seatbelt too, statistically. But the piece that I really wanted to get to tonight that I think also plays a role, and it's one of my favorite things is when science starts backing up what the word has been telling us all along. I love it. It's exciting to me. I want to talk to you a little bit about epigenetics. Has anyone heard that word before? This is new? Okay. So epigenetics is the study of how your behavior and your environment actually can change and affect the way your genes work. So we all know we have a set genetic code, right? Epigenetics, the word literally means around the gene. Epi, around, genetics, the gene. So what this is, this is looking at Everything from what you eat, drink, breathe in, like chemicals, think, feel, and even perceive, all of those things can influence your health outcomes. Now, how it does that, the environment that you're in can determine which genes are turned on and which genes are turned off. So for example, I could have the gene for diabetes that isn't turned on, and then I get, I get into a certain life situation, and all of a sudden that's flipped on. Okay, it's really interesting. I'll talk a little bit more about it, but Google it if, you, if you're interested, go home and search it up. One of the biggest factors in epigenetics and, no, and when different like negative genes are going to get turned on is stress. So especially compounding negative stress. So if you have, I'm talking um, divorce, I'm talking 
trauma, abuse, but even things like lack of sleep, inflammation, poor diet, overworking, um, using drugs, having just too much conflict in your life, different kinds of medication, having other illnesses, all of those things combine together. I want to tell you about a study that I found super impactful. I heard about this a few years ago. There was a study that was done in mice. Now, what they did is they took a group of male mice and they would insert the smell of cherry blossom into their cage. And every time they did that, they'd shock them on the feet. And they did that for a couple weeks and got them used to the fact that they would smell cherry blossom, they'd get shocked. Now, those male mice, they then took and bred. And when the, the lady mice had babies, they took those mice. Now, those mice have never been shocked. Their mothers were never shocked. It was the daddy mice. And they would input that smell of cherry blossom, and they'd freak out. They had this fear response. They had never been shocked. So that was pretty interesting. But then what they did is they actually took those mice who have now never been shocked, and they bred them. Their babies did the same thing. That's two generations removed from the trauma. Now, that's pretty interesting, especially when I think about Exodus 34, 7, that says punishing the sin to the third and fourth generation, but a thousand generations of blessing, right? That makes sense. Like, what, what's God talking about? Well, I think this could be a clue that there are things transmitted in genetic code. There was another study published in 2020, this is brand new, that researchers discovered that mothers... Um, Active epigenetic modifications drive the gene activation in their babies. So if based on my surroundings, I have a gene that's turned on, that's going to influence my children. So now it's not just me, right? It's them too. Now, the good thing about epigenetics is that, I mean, this is a brand new field. They're learning new stuff all the time. But they have found, at first they thought once it's flipped on, it's always flipped on. But now they're saying, no, 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 I think if you change the environment, things can get turned off. You know, so if I flipped on a, a gene, mainly due to, like, smoking, and I stop smoking, after a period of time, things can go back to normal if I'm controlling my environment. So it's really, it's really a very interesting thing. And I think, you know, this is why we talk about, like, bloodline cleansing, um, <laughs> All that kind of stuff. I mean, it is backed up scientifically that the sins of our fathers trans transmit to the kids. It definitely does. And it's a good thing that Jesus died to break the curse. I mean, we're not under the curse. This is stuff that we can fight against, both spiritually, but also with our own health behaviors and controlling for our environment. Now, there's a lot of things we can't control, right? We can't control if we had an awful childhood. We can't control if we had abusive parents, if we didn't get fed enough. We can't control, you know, the death of a loved one. There's a lot in our lives. You know, we can't control. There's a lot of stress that comes at us that we have no control over. But there are things we can control. And I think understanding that God is good, 
God loves. God is working all things together for my good. And keeping my eyes fixed on hope, the hope of Jesus, the hope of the cross, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to us. That reminds me of Romans 12, 2, that talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? We have to continually keep our focus on the issues of God, on the things that he says are true instead of the negative things around us. We cannot stop for a minute immersing our minds in truth that's found in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the disobedience of Christ. Now, who would have thought that the things we're warring against are imagination and thoughts? These are the things that are standing up against, you know, the disobedience of Christ? But here it is in Scripture. Like, our thoughts are really powerful. We've been told that, right? Our thoughts impact so much in our life, including our health, including epigenetics. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about that. Got anything good to think about? Anything to have, you know, be grateful for? Think about that. That's how we should live our lives. We can't be dwelling on the negative and expecting to see positive even when it comes to our health. And I think, you know, if you've experienced trauma, and a lot of people have, I think most of us have, and it's unresolved, it's time to deal with it. It's time to, you know, talk to a pastor, talk to a counselor, get that out of your life, get a hold of it, take control of your flesh, your thoughts, because that experience and that continual process of like re-traumatization, I guess, of, of the thoughts, I mean, that is going to be impacting how your genes are expressed. Hebrews 12, 12 to 16 says, um, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without holiness no one will see the lord see to it that no one falls short of the grace of god and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son now there's a ton there's a ton in that verse but it's telling us don't be angry i mean that gives the devil a foothold a foothold to what? Well, my emotional life, my spiritual life, my physical health. It's telling us to live in peace with everybody. You know, there's another part in Scripture where it talks about before you give your tithe, if you have a quarrel with somebody, go and forgive that person. We have to do it. Live at peace with everybody. Because, you know, you've heard it said before, right, that it's like drinking poison and waiting for someone else to die when we harbor that bitterness. We have to forgive these people, and our, our health literally does depend on this. The Bible also tells us to guard our heart above all else. 
there's a really interesting book out there if you want to, to read something um, on forgiveness. It's called The Forgiveness Project. It's by Michael Berry. And in this book, this was written by, um, I think it's the Cancer Center for America, and he, this man, Michael Berry, is a chaplain there. And what he found is he started a forgiveness program that people can go through. They're diagnosed with cancer. They come to him, and inevitably he says, okay, is there anybody you need to forgive? And people have told him horrible stories. I mean, he says some, some horrible stuff about, oh, yeah, so-and-so tortured my husband, and I haven't been able to forgive them, and just horrible stuff. But what he found was when people went through this forgiveness program, he saw lots of spontaneous remission of cancer, particularly breast cancer. And it just, it's really very powerful to read. He gives lots of different case studies and testimonies of either like supernatural healing, spontaneous remission, or just like recoveries that were unbelievable to doctors just based on forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11 says, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. I feel like that's a trick, right? That's a trick of the devil. You stay in unforgiveness. That's not only hurting them, it's hurting you. I have to forgive them. If I forgive them, God will forgive them. And I really think that that is one of the tricks. We are not aware of the devil's schemes, it says. But I want to tell you tonight that that actually includes forgiving yourself, too. So I've seen, you know, a lot over the years, and I, I do believe that sometimes disease manifests due to unforgiveness of ourselves, like self-hatred. Right? We're pretty awful to ourselves sometimes. And releasing that forgiveness, I mean, it's critical. If perfection was even possible, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. So it's time to let that go, forgive ourselves, and, and move on. Move on under that grace that God provides for us. It's also important that we rest. So we live in this, this day and age, and I feel so old saying that, <laughs> where things are so busy. We're flying. I'm guilty of it. But Hebrews 4.1 says, Now the promise of entering into God's rest is still for us today. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. You know, there is such a thing as biblical meditation, meditating on scripture, sitting in the presence of God. There's something so healing about just being quiet in the presence of God. We all know Psalms 46.10 that says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So health isn't just about diet and exercise, although it's important. You know, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's 
Let's be careful. Let's nurture it. Let's use it to glorify God. But health is also about our habits, our experiences, our beliefs. They all play a role in our health. Health is about your relationship with God, staying connected to a healthy family of believers, and following God's principles in the Bible. You know, everything that God tells us to do in the Bible, it's for our good. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He really wants the best for his children. He really does. So health is about the environment you surround yourself with. If your home's not peaceful, it's time to change it. Change it. Find a way. Make it peaceful. Be the spiritual influence in your home that allows calm, peaceful existence. Your routines, your practices, your thought life. Bring every thought that is contrary to the word of God into cap like subjection. Pull it down. Take a hold of it. And get your thoughts under control. Health needs to be the utmost importance as we seek to steward our body, our lives, and our gifts. We can't, we cannot fulfill everything God has planned for us if we're sick, if we're sick and tired and sad. We need to be able to make those changes so that we can accomplish everything God has for us on this earth. Amen? And he has a lot. We serve a God that's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. He has good plans for us, plans to prosper us. Let's lay hold of that to the best of our ability and start with honoring our body. as the holy temple of the Holy Spirit that it really is. I'd like to close by praying together, just confessing. God, we confess before you that we haven't given our bodies the honor that they deserve. We've hated our bodies. We've poisoned our bodies. We've treated them carelessly. Lord, I ask that you would illuminate for us the habits we need to change. Show us how to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to you, worthy of hosting your precious Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that right now, if there's anyone here in need of healing, God, that supernatural healing would be manifested in this place now in the name of Jesus Christ. I rebuke the spirit of trauma. I command it gone off of each and every person here. I declare it broken, unable to impact our hearts, our minds, or our bodies anymore. And Lord, we ask for supernatural healing of even illnesses that are related to our own negligence. God, we confess that before you and we declare healing over them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.